Happy Monday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, we're back in... uh, we're back in mission control with yet another problem as if <laughs> as if you know having the ship blow up and, and uh, not knowing if they can turn turn all the power back on uh is enough then uh we've got a problem with uh carbon dioxide uh, as uh, as a whole bunch of people come up to gene with their with their problems you know early on i gotta say that early on when i saw this movie as a as someone in high school every time they talked about it ha- you know oxygen issue i always thought it was breathing oxygen and i'm sure i mentioned this before way earlier but i never realized that they were talking about uh, as far as having enough oxygen they were talking about the oxygen for the spacecraft uh and, and powering the systems not necessarily breathing oxygen um something i never knew and i know the, it, this episode doesn't really talk about oxygen but it was something that always sticks in my head now this episode we're talking about something completely opposite of the oxygen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're 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 going going on with what they're what they're putting out rather than what they're taking in, and uh, it, it's funny. A lot of people think, oh, you're going to die if you don't have oxygen, which is true. But we really don't use a lot of the oxygen that we breathe in. I mean, most of most of the air that we're breathing is nitrogen. We're not, you know, in, uh, nitrogen is a nerd. It doesn't really we don't use it in our systems, um, and we use very little of the oxygen that we inhale. An average breath when you when you inhale, you only use about five percent of what you're inhaling as uh, the oxygen that gets transferred to your uh, red blood cells and you know goes around your body so uh they really don't use a lot of oxygen the oxygen part of what's in there you know what they're breathing they don't they don't really use a lot on, on an individual breath the problem starts when you start increasing that carbon dioxide because the carbon dioxide uh blocks uh, oxygen in your bloodstream. If you if you take in too much, if you take in like say ten percent, or as the flight surgeon suggests here, fifteen percent, you start getting uh, anoxia. That you run you you don't have enough oxygen in your blood to uh, keep your mind working and stuff like that. So um, you're you're gonna have really bad problems. So the problem here, and it's it's kind of difficult to make that point. Like you were saying, it, it's hard. It, it's hard to understand that it's not a lack of oxygen. It's just too much carbon dioxide. So they have to they have to scrub that out of the atmosphere. Now, it, you know, on Earth, you you constantly have this cycle of uh, of plants uh, taking in uh, carbon carbon dioxide and converting it back into oxygen. Uh, in the, the craft cycle of uh, rocks and sand and things like that. Uh, you have chemicals in the ground that absorb carbon dioxide. Um, quicklime, for example, quicklime will convert. It, it pulls in carbon dioxide from the air and uh, turns into uh, calcium carbonate. Basically, you're turning quicklime into tums. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a uh, it, you know, but but on a in a confined place like like a submarine or a uh, or a spaceship or even scuba gear. You can have too much carbon dioxide building up in your, like in your scuba regulator or in a, you know, in a confined place in a, in a, uh, in a ship. And there's a couple of ways to get rid of it. One of which is you use, you can use a, a chemical uh, that will absorb the carbon dioxide. And then what you, and you can reuse those chemicals. T- typically, you know, like I said, uh, quicklime, you can, uh, you can use quicklime to absorb stuff. Uh, or, but the most 
frequently used one is zeolite or uh, uh, activated charcoal. Activated uh, carbon is what, the, what the, the general term is, but activated charcoal, um, kind of like the stuff that you put in your fish tank filter. Uh, the reason that it's called activated is it's these small little um, chunks of carbon, pure carbon, that uh, carbon la carbon latches itself onto so many things. I mean, that's why you have hydrocarbons, and uh, it, it's carbon is a very easy atom to connect to other atoms, including uh, a lot of gases like carbon dioxide. So if you take activated activated charcoal, which is just a it's very bumpy, grainy uh, charcoal, which is almost pure carbon. Uh, and one grain has maybe 50 square meters of, uh, of, uh, surface area. So it has, a, it's basically, it's charcoal that has a lot of surface area to the, to the chunks. And when carbon dioxide passes over activated charcoal, it gets stuck to the activated charcoal and, uh, and is removed from the atmosphere. You can release it later by, uh, cooling the activated charcoal with something like liquid nitrogen. That'll, uh, as as the uh, the atom or the molecule shrinks, it pops off the uh, the carbon dioxide. So you can, in a submarine, you can take uh, activated charcoal filters, just like they were using here in Apollo 13, uh, scrub out all the carbon dioxide, and then send them back to uh, the electric boat company in Groton, Connecticut, and they dunk all the activated uh, charcoal canisters into a pool of liquid nitrogen. It releases all the carbon dioxide, and they have a brand new, fresh, ready to use. Uh, activated charcoal filter. Unfortunately, they were nowhere, nowhere near <laughs> someplace they could recycle these things, so they're, they're stuck. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if these are used on aircraft. I, do, I can't imagine that there's a problem with aircraft because we're in the atmosphere, so I think generally uh, pressurized aircraft just uh, br you know, draw in air from outside. I think um, that's how that's done. I'd have to go back and, and look, but uh, and then they kind of... Uh... Re, uh, recycle it as well. They have yeah. they do have scrubbers on board that, that uh, uh, clean the uh, clean the air and everything, but I don't think it's it's quite like this. Not at a gas level, yeah. It's yeah. Just, uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting way to do it. Uh, one of the things that they uh, Gene Kranz points out: oh, nothing spells government project like two different systems on the same uh, flight. But that's. <laughs> It's not as you know. It's not as crazy as it sounds because they were actually two different companies building the thing. I mean, Grumman building the lunar module. They had their own systems going on, and uh, North American later Rockwell International uh, building uh, the the Apollo command module. Uh, North American didn't really have a background in spacecraft, so they were inventing. You know, they were basically inventing the wheel when, when they built everything on Apollo. Uh, McDonnell Douglas, un unlike. Uh, North American built on its experience when they built Mercury. They learned, they took lessons from Mercury and put them into uh, Gemini. And then, uh, unfortunately, Apollo didn't really take any of those lessons because they were they were on a whole separate track and they never really uh, transferred that that knowledge over of uh, unanimity of of parts. Um, it's a uh, at some you point know, you would have thought that. Hey, maybe we should just use one set of filters, but yeah. uh, you know, it didn't. Uh, no, yeah, it, it just I guess pressed for time, and they were both, you know, they were <laughs> they were both re they were both inventing the wheel at the same time. So yeah, um, and like they said, it wasn't a it wasn't considered as a contingency. Like they, oh, what if we wanted to use the uh, the lunar module for a week with three guys instead of a day and a half with two guys? Yeah, uh, why would you do that? 
Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting problem to, to come up with. Um, and, uh, we're going to go into over the next, the next couple of minutes. Well, not, not right here, but over, over the minutes, they're basically given a, uh, uh, you know, it's a MacGyver. This one is, is, is what they have to do. <laughs> so, um, it's something uh, I thought was interesting was, uh, this event, the the filter crisis so they had to you know re you know build this this filter from scratch this is the moment that gene kranz told me basically uh this was the biggest uh threat to the mission this event uh he said he felt that you know even the, the things like the explosion and everything else it all came down to this he said because if they couldn't fix this there that's it there's no i mean there's no crew you know, yeah. and uh, so he he said this was the biggest threat to the entire mission was this this event and the, you know, and the guys uh, they had to come through for him. Yeah, and 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 quickly too. I mean, it, it's trying trying to understand that they're on the way they're on their way back home, but they've got to get this resolved in a matter of hours because there's just no, like you said, there there's no alternative. You can't say, well, get into your suits and breathe, you know, breathe suit air. You can't. That it doesn't. There, there's not enough. Uh, there's not enough of an atmosphere. If if you went onto bottles and were you know, uh, there there wasn't enough air to do it in that way. You had to breathe the room air that was that was there. They couldn't depressurize and repressurize because they didn't have enough oxygen left to refill the capsule. Um, and uh, I don't think it was possible. I may be wrong about this, but I don't think it was possible to depressurize both the lunar module and the command module at the same time. Um, I think that the stress on the uh, docking port would have been too great. I may be wrong, but I think that was that was another problem that you couldn't depressurize both at the same time. Oh um, wow! I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really hairy stuff. I mean, it's it's one of these things when you're wandering through museums and you hear you bump into some you know older folks and they start talking about different things. And I, I remember being at the uh, Kansas Cosmosphere where the Apollo 13 command module is, and. Uh, Someone was, uh, someone was there. I didn't know who he was. And I wish, I wish I had introduced myself to him. But this is back before my podcasting days, <laughs> so I was, I was just sitting there listening, going, "Wow!" Huh? And uh, one of the things he brought up was that the, uh, the docking port trying to, um, there was a, there was a worry that at the docking port, uh, uneven pressures on the uh, lunar module and the, uh, and the Apollo command module would, would be, uh, could, could mess up the docking ring. So I was like. I never thought about that, but maybe that's a thing. And well, and you know, something that you, you just mentioned, and maybe you will maybe you know about it already or, or you know more about it than I do, but I do remember, and I don't want to give anything away because it, 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 it covers when they separate spacecraft, but they did have to do an unconventional dock, uh, undocking when they finally cut the limb loose. And do you know about what I'm talking about? They're, they didn't do it normally. They're, they had to bypass it because there was damage um or, or or pressure was not right to the uh to the t- the tie-in I, and I, I don't remember the whole detail but i remember you know, that there was a I, new I, procedure i remember the situation and i can't think of what the what the problem was well i mean one of the problems uh besides the center of gravity problem they'd already they had already detached the service module and the the center of gravity problem was that you suddenly made the lunar the lunar module was heavier than the the, you know, the ascent and descent stages were heavier than the command module. So the, um, the center of gravity shifted mightily when they let go of the service module because it had never been, 
They've never been built to fly that way. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, there is something with the docking, the docking ring, and I can't remember. It's a. I, I know that you can't, like, you could only separate and return once. Um, when they came back from the moon, you, like you could, you could undock, and then dock again, but you couldn't undock twice. Um, and it was something to do with the way the latches were set that you couldn't. I, I, I'll have to look this up. <laughs> <laughs> we really should study more before we do these episodes, Chris. <laughs> well, I didn't expect to go down this rabbit yeah. hole, but I just remembered that there was a different procedure they had to do uh, to undock the lunar module, and it had to so- sort of like pressurize. I, think, I almost want to say they had to blow it off of the end of the command module or something like that. Yeah, that, that we're getting ahead. Well, I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll know we'll know all about it by the time we get to that minute. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be lots of comments in our on the uh, Facebook uh, group saying, "Why didn't you know that?" How can yes, I, like, exactly. No, I know these things if I look at it first and like, oh yeah, that's what that is. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a, an amazingly complex thing and. Uh, Thank goodness we're not doing one about uh, Apollo Soyuz because there's so much oh. with the uh, with the pressurization on the docking module and the discussion discussion of uh, 4.7 psi versus sea level psi and the Russian uh, Soyuz. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, that's all. If they ever make that movie, we'll, we'll sign up for that later. We'll cross but, it uh, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I love that's my that's my thing. I love docking and birthing uh, uh, systems. They're they're fascinating to me. Uh, my my master's thesis, part of it covered um, the uh, docking systems on the space station. And uh, it's uh, it's such an amazing thing that trying to figure out all the different forces that are happening. I mean, you've got torque with uh, with the connection. You've got uh, uh, air, you know, uh, atmospheric pressure problems inside and outside of the system. And you have a, a concern of what happens if you can't on you know you have to make sure that the latches work every time that both in connecting the ships and being able to disconnect them because you do not want to you know you can't land on the moon if you can't undock your lunar module and you can't re-enter the earth's atmosphere if you've got a uh, a lunar module hanging off of it but yeah again all that's for later minutes but we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in the, in the near future um <laughs> but it's uh it's quite a thing and gosh don't you want all the stuff when I mean, we go to the uh, the engineering room when they're when they take all the all the uh, the MacGyver stuff out of the box and say here you know figure out uh, how to put a square peg in a round hole with this stuff and uh, gosh I want all that I want all that stuff <laughs> it all looks like good man cave stuff <laughs> yeah yeah that uh, uh, that a um, the a7 the the blue suit a lot of times we think of the spacesuits as white that they're always wearing white spacesuits but underneath the covering is a blue suit and uh, it's you never get to see that part of the the pressure suit when you're watching uh when you're watching space pictures um but that's the uh, the real inside of an apollo uh of an apollo space oh we're going to have somebody on in the near future that that can talk a little, a little bit more about that so, <laughs> um but just what a great i just want to fill it up with air and put it in the corner <laughs> ah it's a uh, such a great look. Now, do you have any spacesuits at your museum, Chris? Do you have any spacesuits around? Um, I'm trying to think. We have, um, no, we don't have a. Well, I take that. Well, I take that back. We have one from the shuttle era. Uh, we have one of the orange ones from the shuttle program. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, the pumpkin um, so, suits. Yeah, so we have one of those on display. Um, and, and do you have any I, Mark? Do you have any Mark Fours? The old, uh, you know, like the U two pilot kind of stuff. Uh, no. No, we have some pieces. We have some pieces of that. Um, I think we have a helmet from a U-2 pilot. 
Uh, and then we do have, uh, from the Gemini and Apollo era, not an actual suit, but we do have uh, Frank Borman's uh, Gemini 7 helmet. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's the real deal, the one he wore on Gemini 7. Wow. Well. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> it, it's really funny. He gave it to us thinking that it was a training helmet, and then we discovered that it's the flight worn article <laughs> wow so, wow yeah <laughs> and and that, and that was in the back of your pickup truck on the way that was in the back of our um, big moving truck on the way wow. home yeah, from oh. his, his donation so <laughs> <laughs> what was that what was that drive like i mean did you every time you, if you like stop for lunch or things you just kept staring at the truck i, I <laughs> so, can't imagine <laughs> so let me tell you we, we originally we thought it would be cool to do a whole story museum post you know uh facebook update of like we were going to call it Project 1968, and we're like, you know, we'll go out there, we'll keep, we'll do some social media posts with Frank, and, um, you know, he was great, he, you know, we thought we were getting three or four items, and when we got there, he decided that he would like to donate his entire collection to us, so we got over a thousand individual pieces, and... We had to go rent a bigger truck, uh, kind of <laughs> like Jaws. We we're going to need a bigger boat, you know. And uh, we immediately became terrified because we we worked, we packed it all up. It took us about three or four days. And as we're getting ready to leave, the last thing that Frank Borman says to us is, my life is in your hands, <laughs> meaning that he has given us his entire collection, you know. And... um. He is such a a good uh, a good man, and oh yeah, uh, he is just uh, you, you would never want to let him down. And we immediately became terrified of we cannot <laughs> let Frank down. So we uh, and we had to drive from from uh, you know Montana to to, uh, to Wisconsin. Um, so of course we couldn't do it all at one night. It's like a 16 or 18 hour drive, you know, and, and then you have to add fuel stops. And so when we stopped for the night, we stopped in like the most well lit, the nicest hotel we could find. <laughs> and then we slept in shifts. Um, so that we, we split it up. So there was three of us. Uh, we split it up so that somebody could kind of hang out, uh, pull up a chair next to the window, uh, in the hotel and, and just kind of keep an eye on the truck and the rest of us slept on. We had it locked up and everything, but we we just didn't, yeah, yeah. Did, you know, we didn't want to leave it. And, uh, and then that was it. The next day we got it home and we got everything into our archives room and then we all went home and went to sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was nerve wracking. Um, you, I've never felt uh, as, um, as honored though is when he said those words and it was it was like oh my god we we cannot let you know we cannot let him down and then you know on top of you there was this weight of here is a real okay let's let's use the helmet for example this is this is a gemini 7 helmet and if if we screw up and we break it or we lose it you can't go get another one no no i mean you can make sure you can make a replica and and this is an actual this is yeah. it. This is the Gemini 7 helmet, you know, from Frank. And there's only one other one that went up there with him, you know, and uh, uh, and that was with Jim, you know. So uh, that's where the pressure was for me was that if we screwed something up, it wasn't that, well, you know, you ding this P-51 Mustang wingtip. We'll have to go yeah, get just, another one. and Bang it out or something. Right. Yeah, no, you know, it's this is a piece of history that would be lost if we messed this up. And uh, 
that's why we all breathed a little easier once we got home. <laughs> yeah, I, I just picture if I were driving the truck, I'd just be crying and drinking Maalox right out of the bottle. Just look, 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 look. <laughs> we thought um, about just pulling in a, a Gemini 7 and uh, driving oh, straight through, straight and, through. You know, and we're like, no, nah, it's probably not the safest idea. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, but that, wow, what a, what, a, what a thing that is happening. What time of year was that? Was it in toward the winter or when – that was yeah, it was in the winter time because uh, I remember uh, once Montana had a giant snowstorm while we were there, Ugh. and as a matter of fact, we got stuck in Frank's yard at one point, and uh, <laughs> he thought it was pretty funny. We were terrified, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was uh, yeah, but yeah, it was winter. It was uh, I want to say it was February, wow. so it was February in Montana, and uh, and and once we got out of Montana, the drive was was fine, but. But Montana got like a foot of snow while we were there, and we're driving this big box, like you know, like a U-Haul truck or something, and oh, it was, it was yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the the uh, yeah, not uh, the, the the terror of, of being responsible for this stuff was balanced out by the fear of disappointing Frank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't disappoint Colonel Borman. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. disappoint you know uh, one of America's treasures, and uh, you know, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was, mission accomplished. That's the you know we got it home. Yeah, it, much yeah. different challenge than the guys in Mission Control are facing here, of course. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but uh, about the same amount of stuff though. Same it's amount just... of stress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, more about uh, where we're at here. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, dealing with the public tomorrow. So uh, let's let's come back and talk about that for folks who haven't heard uh, the past eighty episodes you've missed. You can't have missed those. Go back to uh, Apollo13minute.com if you've missed any. You can go back there. And We've got the whole archive ready to go. You can listen to even Frank Borman is in there. So just keep listening, and you'll you'll hear a, a real lunar astronaut uh, with us, as well as Fred Hayes. But there's plenty plenty more. We had great great uh, guests in the past, and we, as we will in the future. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to us on social media, we're always available at Facebook at uh, Apollo 13 Mission Control, and uh, also on uh, uh, what's the oh they call that uh, Twitter twitter apollo 13 minute apollo 1 3 minute uh, love to hear from you it's always good getting feedback and telling us what we're doing wrong uh, but join us here tomorrow and we'll talk uh, a little bit more about uh, macgyvering the uh, the solution and also about uh, public relations looks like we're coming up on uh loss of signal in about 30 seconds so we will see you here next time on the apollo 13 minute